0: god is a holy god and he is serious about us walking in holiness without
1: holiness no one can see the lord the bible says woe to those who isolate themselves or who don't have anyone there to pick them up when they fall down
0: the gospel hope is that we believe in a god who is engaged with his son
1: i have had to come to terms with the fact that i live in a broken world and I live in a broken body.
0: What if the one thing that we're praying for God to take away is the one thing He's using to make us more like Jesus?
1: Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. My name is Trillia Newbell. I'm the Director of Community Outreach here at the ERLC, and I'm excited to be doing a series called How to Handle. We have all these different topics and issues that we see in the news and in culture but they affect real people. And so we're going to take it out of just the news stories, and we're going to talk about it and try to equip the church and encourage those who might be struggling. Today, I'm excited to have my friend and boss, (laughs) Executive Vice President of the ERLC, Philip Bethencourt. And he is also on the pastoral leadership team at his church. And so we're going to talk about church conflict.
0: Exciting. Exciting topic. I'm going to talk about church conflict with the most joyful person (laughs) I know. (laughs) This is perfect.
1: Well, I mean, you also know me well, so we know that I sin. (laughs) And church conflict is something that happens all the time. I have seen churches split over some things that are so small. And of course, churches split over massive things as well. But it usually starts out with something that is a conflict. And we want to think about it. How do we, how do we deal with conflict? How do we disagree? We can disagree. How do we do this? And how do we do it well? So as someone on a pastoral leadership team, you you're also the leader at the ERLC. So you deal with conflict. You've seen conflict. You know conflict. Why is it something that might be important to you? Conflict
0: is important to me because conflict is the effect of the fall in relationships. And so when I think of conflict, what we're talking about is relational friction. Mm. Whenever two things are in close proximity to each other, they can create friction. And whenever there's friction, that can, that is a symptom of underlying conflict. And what, what we need to recognize as Christians is that Living in a fallen world, that's going to affect relationships. That's true in the family. That's true in the church. That's true in our communities. And so one of the key things we need to recognize when there is conflict going on in the church is we shouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about repeatedly in the New Testament examples of ongoing conflict. You think about the Corinthian church in First Corinthians 5 and other places. You see conflict going on there, even among the disciples in the time of Jesus, arguing over their placement in the kingdom of heaven or debating other things along those lines. And so uh, one of the ways that... that we can lay a good foundation for addressing conflict in our church is to not be surprised when we see relational friction and instead bring gospel solutions to those situations.
1: No, that's excellent. And one of the things you you said, not be surprised. So can conflict be good? Can it be a good and healthy thing? Or is all conflict bad? I I think there can
0: be good conflict. There can be conflict that's good, both innately in itself and, and in a church where there is an outcropping of false teaching that's come up, or where there is somebody that's being intentionally divisive in the church, or there's someone who has sinned in a way that leads that church uh, through a discipline process, those are inherently uh, right conflicts for the leaders of that church and the people of that church to handle you know one of the the New Testament images for those that lead the church is that of a shepherd and a shepherd not only helps to feed the sheep but to protect them from enemies mm-hmm. that involves conflict right and so there is going to be a conflict that happens in that regard that can be innately good because it is part of that shepherding process but then there's also conflict that in and of itself may not be good but leads to good outcomes mm-hmm. and and so so anybody can think about this, whether it's in a marriage relationship or a sibling dynamic or in a church context, there are times where we come to a point of conflict that was probably wasn't healthy in how we got there, but it led to an outcome that we couldn't have otherwise had if we didn't have that that point of conflict between us. And the same thing can be true in a church that when there is uh, some disagreement, it might be over fleshly things, worldly things, uh, sinful things, but it might lead to a breakthrough that leaves that church better off in the future than if it had just swept that conflict under the rug and not addressed it altogether.
1: You mentioned um, church discipline, and that's something that people don't really talk about as much as maybe they ought to, or, we, or at least I don't hear it. I don't hear that topic brought up a ton. So I wanted to address it just in case someone was listening and wanted to.
0: Yeah, so when we talk about church discipline, we're talking about two things. The Bible shows us that as a community of believers, that we are covenanting together in a local church as an expression of the coming kingdom of God. And there's a sense of accountability towards that. And so... When you hear the church discipline concept, it's really talking about two things. One is proactive discipline where the leaders and uh, teachers and shepherds in a church are helping to train their people to understand what is right in the eyes of God and what is appropriate and within the bounds of the covenant community of the church and training them up in that way. And then there's also corrective discipline that comes after that. Uh, That's calling people to repentance when there's patterns of sin. That's following a Matthew 18 model of... Once they've been confronted, the individually, going to them with a delegation of people to confront that. And then ultimately, if we need to, to follow a Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 model of bringing it to before the church, all with the purpose towards restoration, yes. calling them yeah. to repentance, not seeking to exile or ostracize them. And it's a concept that might seem foreign because a lot of churches don't practice it, but it's the same thing that happens in every home. I'm raising four boys at home. I'm doing uh, preparative discipline and corrective discipline all the time. I'm trying to help them understand, here's what you can do in our home, here's what you can't do. And when you step outside the bounds of that, there's going to be consequences for it, not for the purpose of unnecessary punishment or to banish you from fellowship in our home, but in order to restore you back into right fellowship and proper living in the environment. And that's really all that church discipline is trying to accomplish in the context of a local body of believers.
1: Right. And that's that's so encouraging and so good and such a good definition of Church disciplined. The goal and really all conflict in our hope is restoration. That we want to see people restored to the Lord and restored to one another and reconciled. And and so I'm I'm really glad that you um, that you explained that for us. So for if someone is currently um, dealing with conflict and they're struggling with this concept that you're talking about restoration and they they don't know how to to handle what is going on. How would can the church be better equipped to handling conflict?
0: Well, I, I recently read the story of the USS Jeanette. It was the first uh, mission commissioned by the U.S. Navy to send an expedition into the Arctic to try to make it to the North Pole. And it tells a story in the late 1800s of this whole crew going up there, and they get up north of Alaska and Russia, and they're trying to cut through the ice. But over time, they get surrounded by ice and basically locked in for the winter. And then once they kind of settle in there to winter in their boat in the winter of nineteen or 1889, then what happens at the North Pole is during the dead of winter, all the sunlight's gone. It's darkness 24 hours a day, and it's recounting the story of this cruise experience, and one of the things that happens is while they're landlocked, ice-locked, and while the light is gone, that's when they were most likely to have dissension and conflict amongst the ranks, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Why is it? It's because... When light is crowded out by darkness mm-hmm. and when stagnation overwhelms the mission, that's when conflict happens. And the same thing is true in a church, right? Nice. So when, when you lose sight of the light of the gospel— and you get distracted from the mission, that's when the ranks are more likely to turn inward on themselves. And so as a church, what we need to be seeking to do is to keep the mission always in front of our people and to keep the gospel light always in front of them. That's not going to solve everything, but it's going to provide the foundation to help do things rightly in the future.
1: That's excellent. And you mentioned the gospel. What is the gospel hope for this topic?
0: Well, when we think about church conflict, we need to remember The church conflict happens because the church is a centerpiece in the spiritual battle that is happening all around us. There is a rivalry between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, where the church is at the epicenter of that, and Satan feels threatened by the church. Mm -hmm. And so if he's going to try to attack to subvert God's mission in the world, one of the best ways he can do that is to bring about conflict and dissension in the ranks. And so one of the ways the gospel helps us is the gospel helps us remember the fallenness of humanity and the mission of the devil to subvert the kingdom advancement of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Part of what it does is it helps to reframe our understanding and perspective of our current place as we long for the return of the kingdom. Yeah. But what the gospel also does is that when we receive Jesus and we unite together as a body of believers, we covenant together as an outpost of that kingdom behind enemy lines, seeking to see that kingdom advance by the power of the Spirit, God has left us not without hope. Yeah. He's called us to a love of neighbor. He is implanted in us his spirit that bears fruit such as love and joy and most importantly for this conversation peace yes and so uh, our default disposition as believers and as a community of believers in the church should be one of peace, one that where the peace of God transcends all understanding that we are seeking to be peacemakers just as Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. And so what happens when we see conflict through a gospel framework, we should be simultaneously not surprised that it's happening in a fallen world in the midst of a cosmic conflict between Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we should be not without hope because we know that God has given us the foundational tools we need by the power of spirit, by the power of prayer, by the work of the church, in order to bring light in the midst of conflict and
1: darkness. So, if there's someone who's listening right now who's a pastor and they're just flat on their face, discouraged, they have they don't know what to do, or or they're just um, maybe hopeless. How can you encourage a pastor who is um, seeking what you're talking about, but? it seems like everything's against them and they wake up feeling that daggers just coming towards them
0: i would just encourage pastors really anybody that's mired in conflict whether it's in the church or in your family or in others to remember the words of paul in galatians 6 do not become weary in doing good knowing that at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up yeah. so what god is calling us to is to be faithful sower of the seeds a faithful shepherd of the flock. And what that means is that we're going to be sowing seeds in rocky soil, in soil with weeds, in soil without water, and we are not always going to see the fruit of our labors. We're going to be shepherding in seasons where the harvest is plentiful. And we're going to be shepherding in seasons where the wolves are plentiful, mm-hmm. both inside and outside the church. And so reorienting our perspective and realizing that one of the things that we need to keep in mind is, what if the one thing that we're praying for God to take away so that we don't have to deal with anymore is the one thing he's using to make us more like Jesus. And that in the midst of handling this conflict, it might, it might leave some scars, but it's going to help to transform you, to reflect the image of Christ more in your ministry and in your family life and in your own spiritual life. And that's something that we can lean into even in the toughest of times.
1: That's really good and incredibly encouraging. And that builds my faith. And I'm not in the midst of conflict. It just builds. It's such a good reminder. Well, we can start
0: some conflict yeah. <laughs> on the air right now if you want to.
1: Well, let me think. I have no idea when. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, that would be a great report. So Philip and Trillia got on a podcast and started fighting. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I really am encouraged and, and encouraged by the reminder not to grow re- weary and doing good. I think everyone needs that reminder right now. Conflict or not, it's something that we can be encouraged by. Well, I, I would add to
0: this, when you're thinking through conflict, is remember what the Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love should look like. Mm. And two of the things that he discusses is the way that love should not be irritable or prone to resentment, or as in some translations, does not keep a record of wrongs. And what I've found over and over again is that Conflict can normally be addressed if it's done in a healthy way, but often has lingering side effects where you see that person again after the conflict has happened and they're more quick to irritate you than they sure. used to be. <laughs> yeah. Or you see them and you don't remember all the kindness they've showed you for years or or the ways that y'all have served on mission together. You just can't get, get out of your head what it is that happened in the midst of that conflict. And so uh, one of the ways that uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is described in some, or translated in some translations is it keeps no record of wrongs, and it keeps short accounts. And I think that's exactly what we need to be doing as a uh, church, and that's one of the reasons that uh, the imagery of the church as a platoon of soldiers on mission for the gospel can be so helpful. That when soldiers are in the midst of battle and they recognize they have a common enemy who's got a common plan seeking to destroy them, that they're behind enemy lines and in danger, they know they don't have time to be Mm -hmm. at war with one another. That's good. Because – War with one another is going to distract them from the battle that they actually should be fighting. And there are certain things that I imagine a soldier can overlook in the midst of conflict that if it happened during times of peace – when they're back home, uh, that it would be tougher to deal with. But seeing it in that bigger picture helps them to manage that. And when we reorient our perspective to the spiritual battle we're called to, it helps us to manage that conflict more effectively.
1: No, that makes sense. It reminds me of Ephesians. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. And so there is a battle, and we need to remember who the real enemy is. Otherwise, we're battling with one another and and fighting the wrong fight.
0: Right. And one of the ways that shows up is— Sometime, I mean, there are two tendencies when it comes to church conflict. On the one hand, I think the most common scenario is there are lots of tensions that go under the surface for extended period of time that if they were addressed early— could be addressed in a way that was productive, helpful, restorative, but they fester, and then they end up exploding in unhelpful ways that cause more trouble at a later period. That's one aspect of things. But then there's also a subset of conflict in the church where there are uh, people or or types of people that are prone towards being divisive sure. and prone towards conflict and don't have a good category for evaluating what level of of drama or conflict this actual situation warrants. And so there there can be a tendency with some in the ranks of the church uh, to overreact mm-hmm. and to make something a bigger deal than it is. And so part of what we have to do is to shepherd our people to know when when is the right time to address conflict and how, but also how do I, in a sense, triage or evaluate how significant a conflict is. You know, for example, just to get more specific, if there's a pattern of, of false teaching in a church, or people leading uh, others astray from the gospel, that's an immediate code red right. level conflict that needs to happen in the church to protect it. But there are some people that might get frustrated because a first-time visitor showed up and sat in their pew <laughs> that they normally sit in at the church, right. and then that person becomes a part of the church keep sitting there because they don't know any better <laughs> and nobody said anything to them and there's this frustration that I can't believe this person's taking my pew right. when they have no idea what they're doing and all of a sudden that can trickle down into other conflicts that are divided in the church and there's got to be an ability to distinguish between gradations or levels of church conflict and to know which path to take based on the severity of the conflict that's being encountered.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up the um, the love chapter that we, hear so much in in weddings, and it completely applies to the church. And your example makes me think of loving our neighbor as ourselves, and we have to sometimes overlook offenses that are – well, we always have to. Yeah, it's good to overlook an offense when we can. Another thing that you said, not to remember – the, the, the sins of others to make sure that when we're looking at someone that we're taking captive our thoughts and we're thinking true thoughts. It reminds me of applying the gospel to conflict by the grace of God. God, Jesus says that our sins are as cast from the east to the west. And there is such forgiveness and grace found in the gospel. And if we can apply that to other people, we can learn to love our neighbor as ourself and essentially love the church and, and to walk in the gospel. So,
0: I you, agree Seth. with you. And one of the one of the things that that shows up in is one of the main reasons we experience significant conflict in the church is because people also haven't learned how to manage it in their own homes. Mm-hmm. And so that lack of health amongst Christians and conflict when it comes to a uh, wider body believers is probably symptomatic of the fact that there is the same type of challenges in their home, and they haven't learned healthy ways to address it there, and, and that spills over into the church. And so one of the best ways that leaders in a church can serve their people is not just to address how to handle conflict in the church, but how to handle conflict more generally and in some of the most common areas where they might see it, like in the, in the home itself, because once people get a right framework for addressing conflict in other contexts, it can more easily apply to the church itself
1: that makes complete sense and I um, I think about people who have been brought up in homes that are are different and um, I know I have friends who get married and they struggle <laughs> with conflict one won't address any conflict at all because that's what they saw modeled in their home the other they are going straight to that person and and diving into conflict and so it can cause a friction so I, I do I think that's a really important word to generally address conflict so that we can both have peace in the home and peace at our church. So, Philip, thank you so much for taking time out. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. You've been listening to the ERLC podcast. I'm Trillian Newbell, the Director of Community Outreach. And stay tuned for the next few weeks as we continue this series.